What is a focal point? Well, there are a number of definitions for that. What is your focal point? See, I've had to watch a lot of shows on HGTV in deference to my wife, some of which I like, and she watches some movies and stuff that I like. But one of the things I've learned watching HGTV and just listening to her and watching her do various things in the house, that in interior decorating, you need a focal point. That could be a picture. That could be a fireplace. It's something in the room that should draw your attention. And the focal point is something that everything else in the room is arranged around. That everything else in the room points to. That everything else in the room coordinates with. Makes the room make sense. So everything else in the room serves to highlight that focal point. And without a focal point, everything's random and chaotic. A feng shui nightmare. It, a room needs a focal point to be well designed and to be pleasing and, and relaxing. Uh, but the purpose of the room is to highlight the focal point. And for Paul, for Timothy, what we'll see today demonstrated as we look into Acts 16, 1 through 5, is that for Paul and Timothy, the gospel is the focal point. The gospel which is that which arranges their lives and that their lives point to, their lips point to, their teaching points to. The gospel for them drives everything, orders everything, determines what fits in their lives and what needs to go. And as we will see, Paul says that he does everything, all these things, for the sake of the gospel. This passage can be somewhat confusing to people if we don't read it carefully because we've just gone through, as we've been studying our way through Acts, we've seen Paul and Barnabas, we've seen the first missionary journey, we've seen all of these souls saved and churches planted. We've seen a, a very successful journey. We've seen them come back to Antioch in Syria and things are going well there. And then all of a sudden there's this attack on the gospel. Some men come from Jerusalem and they say the Gentiles must be circumcised and must keep the law of Moses if they're going to be saved. You cannot be justified. You cannot be accepted by God unless you're circumcised. And so Paul rightly saw this as an attack upon the gospel. He, there was great debate in Antioch and so much so they were sent to Jerusalem for the apostles and elders to consider the matter. And the decision was reached that no, the Gentiles do not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Now there was a list at the end of that council that was in deference to Jews not to be unnecessarily offensive to watch out for and avoid all idolatry. But circumcision was not necessary for salvation. And Paul and Silas are going about delivering that decision to the churches. Seeking to encourage and check on and establish the churches. There's been the disruption between Paul and Barnabas. I'll let you listen last week for that but now they're, they're, they're heading out on the, first, on the second missionary journey. And they're going out seek, strengthening the churches. And now they're coming back through some of the cities in modern day Turkey. That, that, that they've already been through that, that are changed by the gospel. 
I mean, they went into these cities preaching the gospel and a great number of Gentiles as well as some Jews were saved and churches were planted. So they're going back in to check on them. And it says, Paul in verse 1, they come in and they're checking on them and they're going to Derby and Lystra. And what we're going to see as they visit these cities and the actions that they take, the main point is, and why I called it for the sake of the gospel, you'll see that comes from a, a, a secondary text. What we see, though, it demonstrated in their lives when the gospel is the focal point of our lives, we're willing to make great sacrifices to see it proclaimed. Main point, when the gospel is the focal point of our lives, we are willing to make great sacrifices to see it proclaimed. And I want to really look at this text with a really simple outline. Why did, he circum did they circumcise Timothy? And what difference does that make in our lives? Why? circumcised Timothy well the the scripture tells us look back in in verse 1 and verse 2 when they came to Derby and Lystra a disciple was there a convert was there someone who had come to faith in Jesus and and not a brand new convert convert he's had time to establish a good relationship his grandmother was a convert his mother was a convert and now Timothy is a convert you see that in in first Timothy as Paul writes to him second Timothy but um, Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Son in the faith. The, the one to whom Paul writes the last letter to. Second Timothy before he is martyred. And it says he's the son. Now this is important information. He's the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek or a Gentile. A, a non-Jew. Not a Jew. So he's, he, Timothy has a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. And that's going to answer some questions for us. But it's important in the text. He's the son of a Jewish mother, but a Gentile father. He's the product of a mixed marriage. And it says in verse 2, He was well spoken of by the brethren or the brothers, the church. The churches at Lystra and Iconium. So he has a good reputation. He's useful. He's well spoken of. He's a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'll repeat this. This doesn't mean he's some sort of second tier believer. They're not believers and then disciples. It's, it's the same thing. If you are a believer, you are a disciple. You are a follower of Christ. There's, no, there's not an easy way in and then a harder way. Faith in Jesus makes you a disciple. Okay? And Timothy is a disciple. He is a lover of, a truster in, a follower of Jesus. And he's well spoken of. And it says here in, in verse 2, he's well spoken of. And then in verse 3, Paul wanted to take Timothy to accompany him. Don't know all of the reasons why, but, but Timothy seems useful. You know, John Mark had left them and that caused a disruption with Barnabas and maybe Paul's wanting another young believer to pour into. But Timothy seems useful. They could use the help and he wants to take them with them. Now, now watch this. He wants to take him with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew his father was a Greek. Paul takes Timothy and circumcises him to take him with him to deliver the decision of the council to the churches that Gentiles don't have to be circumcised, that circumcision is not necessary for salvation. He won't compromise the gospel. That's what that whole disruption was about. 
But now it's, what, Paul? What? Why are you circumcising Timothy in deference to the Jews? But you've just had this whole argument about circumcision. See, Paul had refused to circumcise Titus. Just a little look back. And look at Galatians 2, 1 to 5. And Paul is detailing his apostleship and his, his gospel that he preaches and how it was accepted by the apostles and how circumcision is, is if you're circumcised, you're separated from grace. You must keep the whole law to be saved. Circumcision has nothing to do to bring us to an acceptable state with God. It's, it's, it's fulfilled. It's done away. You know, the whole argument of Galatians. But in, in chapter 2, he says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also taking Titus also along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So Paul is in humility laying his gospel before the apostles to say, Am I missing something here? Even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek or a Gentile. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. So, why, Paul? What was the fight about? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We did not yield even for a moment. We were fighting for the gospel. We would not yield to the Judaizers. We would not submit to the message that said that Jews, that Gentiles basically have to become Jews before they can be saved. That they have to be circumcised. So Paul is preserving the gospel by saying no to that. And he, he's protecting the gospel at all costs. He will not compromise the gospel in any way. Just refresher. We've already, and I'll point you back to some of the sermons from Acts chapter 15. But Galatians 1 6 and 9 says this Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, now watch this, this is meant to be hyperbole it's meant to get our attention even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a, uh, to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you let him be accursed as we have said before so now i say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received let him be accursed even if an angel comes from heaven and, and appears in your room and shines light all over the place and tells you a different gospel, even if, let him be a curse. Consider him a curse. Know that he came from hell, not heaven. R.C. Sproul, Sproul said, take him from the seat of his ethereal pants and cast him back to hell where he came from. Notice the passion for the gospel and the zeal to protect the gospel and that there's only one gospel. And we are saved by Jesus through faith alone. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you can see to circumcise Titus to give in to the Judaizers was to compromise the gospel. It was to mix and miss and pollute the message of the gospel. And Paul refused to do that. And I'll point you back to chapter 15 in some of those sermons if you want to dig into that further and read further and study further. But look at this. Yet he insists on circumcising Timothy. He insists on circumcising Timothy because of the Jews, quote, in verse 3, 
that were in those places. Four. Four. Connected to. Explaining a little bit. Four. They all knew that his father was a Greek. So on the one hand, he resists the Jews, and on the other hand, he defers to the Jews. And is this a contradiction? To concede and circumcise Titus would be to compromise the gospel. But to circumcise Timothy would not compromise the gospel. Why? Because it's not a salvation issue. It's a missions issue. The reason he's circumcising Timothy is not to have circumcision add to his acceptability with God. It's not because he's sort of being convinced by the Judaizers and coming around to their way of thinking. It's to remove all necessary, all unnecessary distractions from the gospel. It's his cultural sensitivity, his, his willingness to, to adapt to reach people with the gospel. See, it was a mission strategy to keep the gospel central and avoid unnecessary distraction. It was to keep the gospel the focal point. Circumcising Timothy removed an unnecessary offense. It was not a gospel issue. Well, why, why would it remove a distraction? Why would it remove an offense? Well, we have it in our text. You know that Titus was a pure Gentile, and that's why he didn't give in on Titus. But Timothy was from a mixed marriage. Timothy had a Jewish mother. And that's right there in the text. That Timothy, the believer, who had a good reputation, verse 1, was the son of a Jewish woman and his father was a Greek. In the Judaism of the time, mixed marriages were forbidden. Jew and Gentile, marrying, right? Flowing out of the Old Testament, certainly, but... Mixed marriages were forbidden. But if they happened, see, they're no longer stoning people. For that. But if they happened in this culture, in this time, the, the, the child was still to be raised Jewish. If they happened and a Jewish mother had a Jewish son coming through the mother, he was still to be raised Jewish. And if it was a male, he was to be circumcised. Secondly, in the Jewish Judaism of that time, an uncircumcised son of a Jewish mother was considered an apostate covenant breaker. So how much do you think the Jews are going to listen to Timothy preaching the gospel and Paul who brought him with him if he's considered an apostate covenant breaker? See, they're just trying to remove offense. They're trying to, to, to keep unnecessary discussions at bay. And they are in some form conforming to the culture without compromising the gospel. So Timothy being circumcised is to remove a stumbling block. Not a gospel issue. Had nothing to do with his justification. Paul in no way is compromising justification by faith alone. We're still saved by Christ and Christ alone. He's simply adapting to the people he's trying to reach so that the gospel can remain the main focus and the main discussion. He's removing distractions so that the gospel can stay the focal point. Paul explains to us his methodology in 1 Corinthians 9. We see from verse 19 to 23. Now watch this. 
He's standing strong. He's standing firm in the gospel. But he's willing to make every sacrifice he can make to reach others for Christ. For although, he says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Sounds like Jesus, right? That I might win more of them. Now watch. Watch his cultural sensitivity, his gospel adaptation, his seeking to become as much like the people he's trying to reach as he can without losing contact with Christ, without violating Christ's law. He says, to the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as, an outside, as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but rather under the law of Christ. New covenant, same moral law, just new, you know, have power, have forgiveness. He says, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. That, I'm, that by all means I might save some. And watch this. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I'm willing to sacrifice whatever I can. To adapt in whatever way I have to. To reach people with the, with the gospel. He says there that I may share with them. In its blessings. So Paul sought to remove every distraction Paul sought to be as much like the people he was trying to reach as he could without compromising the commands of Christ without compromising the commands of God he sought to be as much like them as possible so to the Jews living under the Mosaic covenant he would go and adapt as much as he could without compromising the gospel to reach them to the Gentiles adaptation but not compromise but he's, he's, he's contextualizing in a good way the gospel by not being unnecessarily different. It's one of the things about legalism. It's just so unnecessarily different. Everything's a law. Can't find any grace. But Paul sought to remove every unnecessary distraction to be as much like the people he was trying to reach as he could. So imagine... Funny, maybe silly illustration. Imagine this is a hypothetical. This place doesn't exist. We certainly don't live in it. Imagine God called me to be a missionary to the land of skinny jeans. He hasn't. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with those if you're not my age. They really look silly on a man my age. I'm not looking around to see if any of you are wearing them. Especially on preachers. Doesn't that make you feel weird? Somebody's 65 years old and wearing skinny jeans. Anyway. But is it sinful to wear skinny jeans? Let me get on with it. No. Cindy said yes. I said, <laughs> For me, maybe. But no, I could, I'm not violating the law of Christ if I go into that context and become as much like the people I'm trying to reach. Why would I do that? Because I want the discussion to be about the gospel and not about whether or not I'm wearing skinny jeans. Because if everybody else is wearing them and I show up not wearing them, what do they want to know? Why are you not wearing them? You know, just a silly example, but again, young people, I have no problem with skinny jeans on you.
But Paul is seeking to become as much like the people he's trying to reach. He's seeking to keep the gospel central. And that's why he circumcises Timothy. So the discussion is not about whether or not Timothy's an apostate. It's about the gospel. It's removed the distraction. It has nothing to do with justification. Our being declared righteous before God. It really has nothing to do with sanctification. You're not more sanctified by being circumcised. It's just missionary strategy to adapt and become as much like the people as he could. And God seems to say that, that God blessed that in verses 4. Looking for it just quickly. The result of that. They went on their way through the cities and they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Churches unified in its doctrine, unified in its strategy. And look at this. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Why? Because Timothy was circumcised? No. Because distractions were removed and the gospel stayed in the center. Because we know the power of God for the salvation of Jew and Gentile is the gospel. The power of God for the salvation of all people is the gospel. The gospel stayed center, central so the churches were strengthened in God's grace and they increased in numbers daily because the gospel was going out. We already decided on the circumcision issue. That's done. There's no necessity of circumcision for justification or acceptance with God. But Timothy was a Jew of a, he was a child of a Jewish mother and in order to remove cultural objection not to violate any sort of scripture or anything like that he had him circumcised and it was effective but let's just pause right now and let's just think about what can we learn from this what 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 difference does this make I mean in our lives other than informing us of what they did in Derby and Lystra and Iconium Surely there's more for us there than that. First of all, I want to start off with a reminder. The gospel. What do I mean by the gospel? What is the gospel? Good news, right? Why is it good news? Because the bad news. The bad news is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need a Savior. None can save themselves. We are born in sin. In sin did our mother conceive us. And without a Savior, we are under condemnation, righteously so. None of us have kept God's law and thought, word, and deed. You know, if you're going to keep, if you're going to save yourself, you're going to have to be perfect in your performance. You're going to have to keep God's law from the cradle to the grave perfectly, from a love for God and a desire to glorify Him, in accord with His Word, in the power of the Spirit, being a fruit of faith, you're going to have to keep the law perfectly in thought, word, and deed to save yourself. Kids, start early. You can't do that. You're already not doing that. We all need a Savior. Therefore, the good news is, since we can't save ourselves, we're not the good news, right? Jesus came. Jesus came to live in perfect fulfillment of God's law. That's why He didn't just come and die and go back to heaven. He came to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill the law, to keep the law that we had broken, to glorify His Father, yes, but to provide a perfect righteous standing for His people. He kept the law for us. He deserved nothing but blessing, but on that cross He died for our sins. 
He took the physical agony, which was horrible, but in comparison to the wrath of God due our sin, it was nothing. Christ paid the penalty. He took the condemnation. He took the curse that we deserve upon Himself. And because He was God and man, because He was the God-man, He could drink that dry on the cross and say, before He gave up His life, it is finished. Paid in full. Implication. Nothing left to pay. We receive Him as our salvation through faith. As a free gift. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God have mercy on me, a sinner, the tax collector cried. Looking to best he knew to God for mercy and found it. Because he's looking away from himself. Not like the Pharisees standing there mocking him. The gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scripture that he was buried and he was raised the third day proving it all true. And that salvation is a gift to you if you will trust him and receive it. And even that faith that he requires, he gives through the preaching of his gospel. It's all the work of God. It's all the work of grace. Are you trusting in Christ? So the reminder I'm giving us as we move into and towards the end, is that the gospel should be our focal point. The gospel is Jesus. So it's not a distinction between gospel-centered and Christ-centered. The gospel is the good news about Christ who lived, died, and was raised for us and is our salvation. So the gospel should be our focal point. It should be both protected from corruption. We've seen that in chapter 15. And all necessary distractions from it should be removed. We're seeing that now. Everything in our lives should be arranged around the gospel and point to the gospel. Convicting part. For me. And it's not for you, maybe, but everything in my life should be ordered around Jesus. Paul, what did Paul say his philosophy was? To live is Christ. To die is gain. Life is about Christ. Christ, His gospel, is to be our focal point. Metaphor of the room. Everything in the room of my life is to be oriented around that gospel. Pointing to that gospel. In coordination with that gospel. That means some furniture pieces don't fit. And sometimes I need new furniture pieces. But the gospel should be our focal point. It should be our lives. Everything in my life should be arranged around the gospel. And listen, it's not a legalistic thing. When we really come to know Jesus, the gospel should satisfy us. What Piper says, God is most glorified in me. When I am, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And that's true. If I'm not satisfied in Jesus, He's not going to be glorified in my life. If I'm looking for, to, for Jesus to be my ticket to these other things that I want, that I think will really satisfy me, I mean, I'm just using Him. I don't love Him. I just want Him to make me happy and give me stuff. There's a lot of preachers out there that will just preach that to you all day long. Jesus came to make you rich. Well, He did. In true riches. And you can be rich and be poor. 
in material things or poor and be rich in material things. Christ is the treasure. The gospel is the center. The gospel satisfied Paul so he could say, listen, for me to live is Christ. Dies gain. And everything in my life that doesn't fit that gospel paradigm is out. And the things that need to come in are in. And this was convicting to me this week. Is Jesus the purpose of your life? Is Jesus the treasure of your life? Is Jesus the satisfaction of your life? Can you honestly say I don't need anything else because I have Him? If you're not convicted, you're not listening. Because we're not glorified yet. God set us free from the distractions and from the, the bondage from self. And He is and He will and He will finish the work. But the Gospel should satisfy me so that Christ is my center and so that my life is about Him. And my life will tell the story whether it's true or not. My lips will tell the story whether it's true or not. My sacrificing myself for those around me will tell whether it's true or not. The gospel should be our focal point. Secondly, cultural sensitivity is a good thing as long as it doesn't lead to compromise or sin. Contextualization is a good thing as long as it doesn't lead to compromise or sin. Paul said not being outside of the law of God in 1 Corinthians 9.21 we looked at. He said he's under the law of Christ. What is that? Life in, it's life in the new covenant. It's that same law written on my heart. Right? It's a new nature, a new heart. I not only have God's commandments, but I have His power. And I have a new heart. I'm a new creature. And so my desires should line up with His commands. So Paul's saying, I won't violate moral principles. I won't violate righteousness that God calls me to, to reach others. But every other unnecessary thing, I will shed. Living under the law of Christ is joyfully God's, keeping God's commandments like Christ and in Christ. Because Christ is my treasure. See, we, don't, we do not violate God's commands to reach the lost. 1 Corinthians 7.19, watch this. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. I'm making a point of this because some of in contemporary church culture go too far to reach people for Christ. They will actually make little of sin and, and not, maybe not meaning to, best of motives, actually participate in sinful things to try to reach people. Listen, you don't reach bank robbers by robbing banks with them. You come to see justices if you do that. Judges. That's not what becoming like them to reach them means. Becoming like Jesus. Shedding all unnecessary. Making the gospel the center. Paul says he's willing to shed whatever is unnecessary. And to do whatever he can do to reach the lost. Thirdly, we should be willing to sacrifice greatly to, re to reach the lost. Listen. We spend so much time talking about Paul and whether or not he was contradicting himself and what in the world was he doing is we forget about Timothy and he's one cut on. And he didn't have to do that. 
He was big enough to say, Mm-mm. I'm going to minister with these people over here who are not going to ask me to do that. If this is a problem, I'll just go to the Gentiles. Timothy made a great sacrifice. Listen, circumcision of adult is a painful matter that puts you down for days. And I'm sure it was intimidating. I mean, think, think about, well, I don't want to talk too much about that. <laughs> Let me just say, having stuff cut off hurts. Think of a finger. And I didn't cut it off, but I'm going to get way too far down this hole in a minute. Y'all go explain circumcision to your children. There, I just made your afternoon comfortable. Your kids are going to come home. Daddy, what is circumcision? You're welcome. That's your job, not mine. But Timothy, like Paul, was committed to serious self-sacrifice to reach people with the gospel. Paul was willing to do anything lawful to promote the gospel. And so was Timothy. But neither one of them were willing to violate God's commands to reach people for Christ. This might sound like a crazy question. Are you willing to be circumcised for the gospel? Are you willing to have out of your life Everything that doesn't line up with God's purposes to reach others for Christ. I'm using it metaphorically. Come on, relax. To have everything that distracts from it and dishonors Christ certainly taken away. But even the things that don't necessarily aren't sinful, but just distract from the purpose. It either serves that focal point or it doesn't. See, Timothy was willing to do that. If it takes priority over the gospel, if it distracts from the gospel, certainly if it's sinful, cut away. And listen, because Christ is the ultimate example of this, right? His death is called circumcision. But Christ's death, Christ was circumcised for us and he died for us on the cross. He gave up all the, all the joy, you know, all the, all the benefits, all the blessings of, you know, He didn't have to come and take on a human nature and live in this miserable place, fulfilling God's law and die for His people and all that humiliation. But He was willing to be cut off to save us. Christ is the gospel. The cross was that circumcision Colossians is talking about. And it was a painful excruciating experience but he sacrificed himself to become like us and to die for us to deliver us from our sins Hebrews 2 since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. the death of death and the death of Christ Long book by John Owen, but it's worth reading. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Look at what it says. To make propitiation 
for the sins of the people. To be cut off. To be cursed. To take hell for his people. Propitiation. He turned the wrath away from us onto himself. And drank that cup dry. The cross was Jesus' focal point. He set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem to die to accomplish the redemption of his people. Fulfilling the eternal plan of redemption of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ being the mediator. He glorified the Father in accomplishing the redemption of his people by the power of the Spirit. He is the gospel. Life is to and for him. We are redeemed because he sacrificed himself to become like us and save us. I'll ask you again this morning as you sit here. Are you trusting in Christ Jesus and him alone for your salvation? You can't be good enough to be saved. There are no other saviors. You have heard the good news that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised the third day. He's reigning in heaven. And he offers eternal life to you if you'll receive it. From the smallest child to the oldest adult. Christ, the free gift of salvation. Are you trusting and resting in him? Repent and trust him this morning if you're not. See, Paul and Timothy, in imitation of Jesus, had the gospel as their focal point. Everything they did was for the sake of the gospel. They sacrificed everything for it. How about us? Does that describe us? Does that describe you? Praise God that His throne is a throne of grace. Because he paid penalty for every one of our sins. And all of his righteousness is ours. We can run to that throne of grace. And confess our lack of focus. Our, and receive forgiveness and power to reorient our lives. Around the true focal point. Which is Jesus. And his gospel. To live as Christ. To live as Christ. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, it's easy to say and hard to do. And we know that you are working that in us as you sanctify us and grow us in grace. But we mourn over our sin and our lack of focus. We mourn over how much we live for ourselves and not you. We mourn over how much we seek satisfaction from outside of you. From the world, from the flesh, even from the devil, even though we don't do it knowingly sometimes. Lord, forgive us for not treasuring you. Forgive us for not treasuring your gospel. Forgive us for not having your gospel as our focal point. Help us to be willing and able by your grace and for your glory, by your strength. To sacrifice anything that doesn't line up with your gospel purposes. To reorient everything that's out of order. To focus, first of all, our heart, our eyes on you. And have you be our treasure. Lord, so many times the gospel doesn't satisfy us and we look to other things. So many times we use you or we try to like you're some sort of genie in a bottle that we can rub. 
I pray that your grace in Christ. I pray that your forgiveness and free gift of salvation. I pray that your righteousness imputed to us will satisfy us. Help us to be satisfied in you. Help us to be focused on you like you are on us. Help us to sacrifice for you the way you have sacrificed for us. Please help us to have the gospel as our focal point. As is so demonstrated in the lives of Paul and Timothy and others in your word. Set us free, Lord. To live for you. To love for you. To serve you. To enjoy you. To glorify you. And to look death in the face with confidence. Knowing that Christ has conquered it for us. By dying for us. Being buried for us and being raised from the grave. Thank you for forgiveness. Lord, convert those that don't know you this morning or those listening on the internet and sanctify those of us who do. Work what you only you can work in our hearts that we might love you growingly, striving to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, striving to love our neighbor as ourselves, striving to love one another like Christ has loved us, not to make ourselves acceptable, because we have that as a free gift in the salvation we have in Christ. We have your grace, your mercy, your kindness. And we rejoice in it. We give you praise for it. And we ask all of our prayers in Jesus' name.